The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hello, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore some of the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer. And this is a story, and I remember this very well when it happened. Uh, and just a quick setup. Uh, it came during the, it was the third overall pick in the 1990 draft. And at the time, for the NBA, uh, he went by Chris Jackson. Uh, he changed his name to Maud Abdul Rauf. And uh, he was uh, obviously very good. Uh, and uh, then uh, in 1996, he declined to stand for the national anthem. And just after that is when everything, uh, his career, uh, went in rapid decline. And this was way before the Colin Kaepernick uh, issue involved. So first of all, I'd like to welcome Maud abdul Roof to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. You were so kind to join us. You are here because, well, for many reasons, uh, a chance to tell your story, and you have a new book out on it. Can you tell us about it? Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Um, I have a new book out called In the Blink of an Eye through uh, Kaepernick Publishing, written along with a uh, Pulitzer Prize winner, winning writer Nick Giles. Um, well, we explore a lot, a lot of my life from, you know, growing up in Mississippi and the challenges with that, uh, almost missing the opportunity to even go to a prestigious basketball camp to play against Michael Jordan because of some of the, the unfair rules in the state of Mississippi, uh, Tourette syndrome, uh, the, the social political fiasco with the flag, you know, so on and so forth. So, uh, thank you for explaining the backstory there. So, I'm curious if you could. Put yourself in 2022 and, and tell us what you think about where the NBA is today um, in terms of letting players express their political views versus when you played. Well, that's interesting. I'm glad you asked that question. Um, I, I definitely think uh, social social media has changed the, uh, the the narrative in so many ways. Uh, we didn't have that when we were we were playing. Um, but uh, when, when it's concerning the NBA and how they are, and I've said this all along, I think they're just a little bit more sophisticated in, in how they deal with it if you compare them with the, uh, the NFL. Um, because of times, because of the fact that times change with social media. Um, at, at that time, people could, the media could, can, could, could control the narrative more than they do now. People can get on social media, for example. There was a, a Muslim football player, Abdullah, that went into the end zone, and, and he prostrated, and the NFL wanted to find him and suspend him, and immediately people got on social media and said, well, what about Tebow? Mm-hmm. And then they pulled back. You know, and so if we would have had that then, it would have been a little different. Um, I think about this case with uh, in, in China, right? There's a whole uh, section of people, the Uyghurs, right, who genocide is being committed against them. And I think, uh, what's his name, Westbrook and uh, uh, the one that played uh, James Harden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ended up wanting to make a, a comment, and they were they were prevented from making that comment because you know NBA has big business in China, 
So it's 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 only to a certain degree. Uh, I don't think it's coming out of a place necessarily of you know place of altruism like oh we just really care. Um, that's just my humble opinion. Mahmoud, you're near and dear to my heart when talking about the plight of the Uyghurs. I cover emerging markets here for Bloomberg in addition to having the pleasure to interview you. You know, what I need you to do is take me back to that point in time. You know, what was going on in the locker room with your teammates, uh, Bernie Bickerstaff, you know, obviously, you know, told you to get lost. You know, I mean, like, like (laughs) unbelievable. You know, I read that, you know, I, I must confess, I didn't read the full book yet, but I read through the first three chapters and it's just amazing, you know, the, the, the lack of support, you know, that, that and, and I'm wondering, has that changed, you know, relative to today? You know, you've got Twitter, you've got social media, you know, you've got Kyrie Irving, all this stuff, Kanye, all this stuff. But, you know, you, you also see them getting support and pockets of support from places. And I'm curious, where did your support come from, if any? Uh, well, um, in the NBA, there wasn't a whole lot of support. Um, uh, and it all started, uh, I mean, the, the, the relationship that I had with the players, I mean, these are conversations that we have all the time, you know, on the bus, on the plane. And so when Todd Eatley came to me, the assistant GM, he said, well, there's a reporter that's been taking notice of the fact that you haven't been standing. Would you want to talk? I said, well, of course, no problem. Yeah. And after that, that's when it blew up. You know, there was a uh, a host of uh, journalists that came to the next shoot around. We were playing Shaq. And they asked me the question that, eventually went viral. Um, that's when I got, came to the gym the next, I mean, that later on that evening, uh, getting ready for the game, Jim Gillen tells me, Bernie wants to see you. So I go down there, and they had looks on their faces like they already knew what it was. And so when I walk in the office, he said, listen, uh, the NBA wants to talk to you, but that's only if you uh, still refuse to stand, you know, because they're, they're threatening to find you and or suspend you. So what do you say? I said, well, I'm not going to stand. And that's when they got on the phone and talked to me. And they gave me their their reasoning why I should. And I rejected it. I said, well, that doesn't apply to me. Do what you have to do. And I was so green, I'd never been suspended in my life. I thought that there had to be an act of legislation, you know, that we had to go through a process. And I'm like, well, can I go get my uniform on and go play? He said, no. You, I said, right now I'm, I'm suspended? He said, yeah. I said, well, can I go and watch the game to support the team? He said, no, they want you off the premises. They don't even want you. I said, okay, no problem. So I left. And um, that's – and even now, um, I've, I don't – I'm not associated with NBA. I'm associated with certain players. You know, I train certain players here and there. But uh, even going through all of this social, political, you know, what I call posturing or whatever, and having – allowing players to speak, uh, I feel that if they were really – you know, into what they were saying, like even with Craig Hodges, right? Why don't you reach back in history to those players? Not me. I don't, I'm not looking for anything from them. But, you know, even a person like Craig Hodges, why don't you look back and say, look, let's grab these individuals who we feel they've been wrong, if you feel they've been wrong, <laughs> and have them a part of this conversation. And as far as I know, that is yet to happen. And so I don't, I don't, I don't think it's really, I think it's for public consumption more so than anything. Have you had a chance to talk with Colin Kaepernick? Because your book, by the way, it's in the blink of an eye in autobiography. It's published, uh, Kaepernick Publishing. Have you had a chance to talk with Colin Kaepernick? Yes, we met when he was going through um, you know, his situation when he took his position years ago. We have a mutual friend. And I came to the Bay Area, and it was in a private office. And you know, we were there for about an hour. 
And uh, we didn't necessarily approach each other from the position of I'm giving you advice, which uh, that's 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 the way I go about it. Because oftentimes with athletes, in particular black athletes, there's this notion that, well, somebody told him and he 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 doesn't have a mind of his own. He can't think for himself. And so we just had dialogue. And I remember one thing he said that resonated with me. Uh, because that's the way I feel now and the way I felt then, which caused me still to do what I do. He said, this is the most free that I've ever felt in my life. Mm. And, I, <laughs> and, I, and, and that's, why, that's why you're able to take positions that you take. And so, yeah, we met, and, and which led us to this point of, of doing business together on this project as well, which I thought was a great marriage to have because we have so many parallels to our story. I'm wondering if you've heard from anyone in the NBA, um, any players, any administrative folks about uh, your story in the blink of an eye. Um, do you have a relationship with the NBA, whether formal or informal? Uh, no, ma'am. Uh, I don't have a relationship with the NBA. I just have a relationship with certain players. Uh, no one has contacted me concerning the book uh, and what they think about it. How they, I, don't, I don't expect them to. We haven't communicated since... I did what I did. I mean, even in the league, when all of this was going on, there was this talk in the media, oh, he's going to New York to meet David Stern. I never talked to David Stern in my life. We never had a conversation about meeting in New York City. And I'm like, where is this stuff coming from? You know? Uh, and even when I went back to Vancouver, I snuck back into the league. Um, he didn't even, didn't seem like he even knew I was in the league because he came to visit the locker room and he was shaking hands with players. And when he stumbled upon me, he kind of froze and the players were watching. And I can't remember what he said to me, but it was something slick. And and I also responded something slick back. And he, because it was in the public, he he felt he had to extend his hand slightly. And I slightly extended mine. And we kind of shook each other's uh, index finger. (laughs) And and then then, so be it. Well, I mean, Scarlett, come on. The, the NBA is not going to be nice to Mahmoud here. He's a co-captain of a team in Ice Cube's Big Three League. We had Cube on a few weeks ago. They, they, they don't like the Big Three League. But, right, uh, but you never know you what never kind of, know. you know, um, back-channeling there might be. <laughs> so, you know, Mahmoud, take me back because, I mean, look, you are involved, obviously, in the Big Three League. I mean, you were the third overall pick back in 1990. I mean, you led the mm-hmm. NBA in free throw percentage a number of years. I mean, you were a hooper, man. You played with Shaq before he was even drafted by, you know, you were at LSU. So, you know, talk to us about how you mentioned you had Tourette's syndrome at a very young age, right? Mm-hmm. How did how did that prepare you for your career in the NBA, for dealing with this type of adversity? Talk to us about that. Oh, my, man. Having Tourette's syndrome from the moment you wake up um, until you're actually out cold, it's, it's like living on a battlefield. Mm. You're constantly, your, your mind and your body are on two different wavelengths, and you, you, you're trying to navigate through it and create a balance. And it's also pushing you beyond where you're going to push yourself. You know what I mean? I wouldn't be the person I am today. I mean, I, I grew up in a, in a, in a, in a, in terms of teaching us the values of being respectful and courteous and all of that, yes. But, uh, you know, because it's something that's so overt and it's in your face, I couldn't afford the luxury of being arrogant <laughs> because I'm an easy target, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so it kind of calms you down in that way, uh, as well as just playing basketball itself. You know, the, when I wanted to quit, 
after working, well, stopped playing rather after an hour and a half, I felt like I had enough. It's like Tourette's syndrome is another person. It's like, no, you, you're not finished until you play me. And if you don't play me, I'm going to make your life miserable all day long. And literally, you, if you stop, your tics would, would increase and it would become more violent right. and intense. And so you had to finish it. And even though every day was near death, and I'm not exaggerating. I mean, I get choked up and teary-eyed every time I think about it. Like, I could have died every day. And so it's pushing you beyond where you yourself wouldn't go without it. And and so what happens with anything, they're carryovers. And so when you start becoming attached to something else, whether it's a social political issue or something you dislike and you won't change, it's like, man, hold on. You're growing up every day the one moment you wake up with a fighting spirit. <laughs> you know, you got to fight yourself. And so this is how it, it's constantly preparing me. It doesn't allow me the luxury of being comfortable and satisfied and letting things go. <laughs> you know, and it's a blessing and a curse. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Do you think that the NBA is more progressive today? Maybe more progressive than the NFL. I think that I, I just think they're more sophisticated. I mean, they're crafty. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I can't give them that 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 that, that label yet. Uh, I, I really can't. Um, that's a great question, though. But I'm, I'm struggling with with that one. I, that's why I'm always. I just think that they're a little bit more sophisticated in how they go about it. Uh, they're savvier. Not the, there you go. That's the word. I'm going to start using that one. Instead of <laughs> yeah, that's, I, that's the one. <laughs> Having said that, though, I, I want to go back to Michael Barr's question because the NBA is at least seen as more progressive than the NFL, perhaps, or MLB or NHL, especially when uh, George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter gained momentum, the, that whole movement. Um, to that extent, is it a a more welcoming place for players to speak their minds, especially when it comes to things like political views? Well, if, if you, if you're using that example and you say, is it more welcoming in that? Uh, yes, I, I would say, uh, on the surface of it. Yes. Uh, uh, compared to the NFL. But I think about this, this, uh, statement that I think is named these political scientists, Richard Itton. He said something down the lines of, you know, he, he cautions against viewing protest as inherently revolutionary because once it becomes routine, right, and normal, it's it's easily molded and shaped into the geminic understanding of them. So what I get out of that, me personally, is that like the NBA, they allowed their quote unquote allowed their players to come out with I can't breathe shirts on. They allow their players to you know get on certain platforms to you know to speak, and but yet when I think about Again, the James Harden and the Westbrook, you know, situation. When I think about even having these programs and you don't reach back to like a Craig Hodges, you know, Craig Hodges had, I mean, he has championships. He did something at the White House, which he should have been able to do. Like, look, 
he gave recommendations to the staffers. He passes the president. You know, if you're a citizen in this country, you pay taxes. You know, they shouldn't be above receiving information from their citizens, like recommendations on how to improve something. And so they felt that that was offensive, the way he came dressed and all of that. And even the fact that he won three NBA, uh, not championships, but he uh, won the uh, three-point contest three times in a row. I said, man, they should have him at the court court every All-Star game and on, sitting on the throne until somebody breaks it. Nobody's ever done that. You know, but they don't call him. They don't reach out to people like that. Uh, and so because of that, this is why I say they're savvy, <laughs> you know, but, but definitely on the, when you look at it on the surface level, oh, yes, of course. They, they seem progressive. The players are outspoken more. And, uh, they don't have the hangups that the NFL and maybe some other places have. Well, Mahmoud, I wonder if you could expand on that. I mean, do you feel that today's player um... – are they becoming more vocal about their about their beliefs because it benefits their brands or because they truly believe in what, you know, they're fighting for? I mean, do you see any differences there? Do you see, you know, an evolution in terms of, you know, the individual player, you know, actually generally giving back, you know, to those causes that they believe in most? Is that real or is that more, you know, more savviness, I guess, to steal Scarlett's word? Well, I think you always have both. I mean, of course, we can't reach into their souls and hearts to always know if they're sincere. You know, you I think in some cases, in time, you'll know. Like if you see a person benefiting, you know, more off the business side and they become less vocal, that sometimes that could be like, okay, all right, you've, <laughs> you know, you seem to be one of those people that is more, it's more about your brain than you've been bought and sold uh, because you, you're no longer vocal. Um, um, so I think you always have both. I think it's a, it's a, it's a bit of both, um, but definitely there. I, I think, and even the reprisal part of it, you know, look, what what Kaepernick did wasn't so long ago, um, and they always the system always finds a way to to um, to get what they want. To to I, I can't think of the word I want to use right now. Prevail. It's a, it's a Yes. I mean, you could see things, right? And, and they, they're ahead of the game in how they deal with people. It's like even when Kaepernick did what he did, I said, oh, man, he's getting ready to get it. Like with me, it was, it was a process. You know, first, you're not being interviewed as much, so you become almost invisible, right? You're not played as much, right? Your time decreases. And it's, oh, we don't, maybe you don't have it anymore. I think young right? people call that ghosting now. Yeah. There you go. So these these type of things begin to happen, and then they just you just this becomes the excuse instead of saying, "Well, look, we don't like what you said, and this is why you're not playing anymore." It's like, well, he's not really playing anymore, and you know, you know, he doesn't have it, and you know. So that's what I'm saying, and and I, I think so. Even the reprisal part is is still there. They become very savvy in how they deal with it. Um, um, yeah, that's. But there's definitely more players outspoken yeah. than than before. But I think a part of that is definitely social media. I remember talking to uh, what's his name. Um, uh, these names are leading. Uh, Dr. Harry Edwards, yeah. uh, and I never heard this before until he said it. He said, "Mahmoud, when Kaepernick, he said when Muhammad Ali took his stand." He said they did it. It was framed under a movement, the Black Power movement. 
when Kaepernick did what he did, it was framed under the Black Lives Matter movement. They had a movement, right, to back them. He said, when you and Craig did what you did, there was no movement, which made it harder. You were in like a sea, mm. you know, on a boat by yourself. I said, darn, I ain't never. I said, wow, that's deep. I ain't never think about that. You, <laughs> right? you took the question that I had. I know we got to wrap this up, but boy. It's like you were reading my mind because, <laughs> like, you, you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, when Muhammad Ali was going through what he did, it, he had the movement. Kaepernick, the same thing. And you took me back. At, there was no movement, so to speak, especially in the yeah. '90s during that time. It, it boy, that, that that's. That's it was just get with the program. Yeah, that was... And talk about getting the movement wrong, right, moment, uh, Mahmoud? I mean, you basically, when you tried to get back into the league, it was 2000. That was right before 9-11, right? So then 9-11 hits. Oh, oh, I mean, yeah. so talk about the anti-movement. <laughs> um, you know, I have to ask you before you leave. I mean, sorry to cut. Yeah, I mean, just... You dropped 32 points on Michael Jordan, man. I mean, how how did that feel? You know, I mean, in terms of the highlights of your nice. life, man. I mean, I'm sorry. We have to go there. We're going I mean, to highlight reel. You got it. I mean, you dropped 51 on Utah. I mean, let's take nothing away from the Jazz, but 30. And that was the year they won 72, no? You know, man, it was, anytime you can do something like that on a, on a player that's like, as iconic as, as Jordan, it's a wonderful thing. But I, I, I did it in high school in a in a in a in a Nike Nike camp when he asked me to uh, asked to guard me a couple of times and I scored on it uh, two times real quick. And it and it, this is what we do. It's a different position, and not to sound you know cocky, but. It, it felt easy uh, because it's a, it's a different position, though. It's it's like me guarding him on the post. Right, After a while, right. his six six frame. Now you're out there where I'm. It's a different. It's a different dynamic. <laughs> yeah, so that's it. Was, but it was it, it was nice that they were falling. Ah uh, man, that's great. Man, you guys would dominate me just sweeping the floor. I, I, I man, I just it, it, the talent. It, you took me back, and I remember the talent, man. It's, it's beautiful, man. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. He is the author of "In the Blink of an Eye: An Autobiography." Uh, it is out there, and uh, I have a feeling that it is a. A very uh, good read about uh, your life in general. We really do appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thank you, more. This has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. Where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on Twitter at Victor Sports. And you can find me on Twitter at Scarlet Foe. And you can find me on Twitter at D Sassauer. And you can download our podcast, which air every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Download them wherever you get your podcasts. 